2: well, hello, my friends. This is John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here join us on the Live Inspired Movement. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, I have amazing guests join us to share their stories, their successes, their failures, their lessons, their life. But really, more importantly, you're going to have real ideas, maybe a shift in your mindset, and some specific actions to apply in your own life. Before we get started with today's guest, and you're going to love our guest today, I already do, you could consider checking us out on our primary website. It's JohnO'LearyInspires.com. It's where we have links to previous podcasts. We'll have the show notes for this podcast. You can learn more about our book on fire, more about our speaking, more about our blogs, our vlogs, the work we do in the community, the movement that we are beginning. Check it out at JohnO'LearyInspires.com. My friends, have you ever fallen down in life and struggle trying to pick yourself back up? Have you ever bumped into a wall, dealt with something massive that you weren't sure you could overcome, hurdle, and move forward from? Our guest today has dealt with all of this and much, much, much more. She has an incredible story, but really for me, more than her story more than what she's overcome, it's what she's doing with it today. It's a remarkable journey. So what I encourage you to do right now is to open up your hearts, open up your journals, Get ready for a wild, wild ride with my new friend. Her name is Amberly Snyder. Amberly, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited today.
2: No, we, we are delighted. So for those who may not know of your terrific story of uh, all that you've overcome and all that you are doing today, give us a quick snapshot of what you're doing professionally.
1: What I do today is I'm a motivational speaker, I am a newly graduated school counselor, and I barrel race and compete in rodeo.
2: <laughs> Those things all seem like they play perfectly together. Motivational speaking, bowl racing, uh, counseling within the schools. You've just graduate, graduated with this degree. When you aren't doing these things, what, what, what do you do to kind of stay busy outside of these three big time sucks?
1: Truly, that's kind of my whole life right there. If I'm not doing one of those things, I could be coaching my little sister. She also rodeos with me. And if I'm not doing that, then I just finished writing a children's book. So I was spending some time on that and I'm working on another book. So I think that's kind of where all my time goes. If not, I mean, if I really have anything after that, I'm usually standing in a standing frame and watching Netflix.
2: Well, I look forward to hearing more <clears throat> about why you stand in a standing frame. I know there's a, a reason and a rationale behind that that is going to uh, really engage our listeners in the challenges that they face and how they can stand up and rise above and get back on into the saddle and, and uh, move forward in their lives. You, you live in Utah, I believe, but you were born in California. Is that correct?
1: Yes, sir. Yep, I was born in California. My dad was a Major League Baseball player, so... We were in California when he was playing with the Dodgers.
2: Your dad played ball. I understand that because of that, you you fell in love with baseball at a young age and baseball players.
1: Yeah, well, I I mean, if your dad's a baseball player, you have to love baseball. You I better. Think there's a choice there.
2: What, what, what's your dad's name?
1: His name is Corey Snyder.
2: So Corey Snyder is your father. You grew up in the L.A. area. You grew up on the in the diamond watching these guys. What what were some of the lessons that either your dad or some of these other ball players taught you?
1: You know, one of the things I've always learned is that, I mean, there is that saying, never let the fear of striking out keep you from playing the game. And I feel like that that, of course, plays a role. But the fact that baseball is a sport where you will fail more than you will succeed. I mean, the odds are just not with you. You're going to strike out more than you'll ever hit a home run. And I feel like just knowing that and learning that has taught me that it's okay to fail and it's okay to not get things right the first time because – when it does go right it'll be fantastic
2: when you were little did you know that most dads don't play professional baseball with the dodgers or is your world so shrunk that you think this is normal
1: you know i feel like my dad's a normal human so i i think because of that it's just you know even if a dad doesn't play baseball then right i think we all they're all heroes in our own eyes anyway
2: Talk about your dad. Not, not so much about the baseball aspect, but you, you, you just called your dad a hero. What was it about dad that made him one of your heroes as a little one?
1: My dad, so there's six kids in my family. There's a lot of us. And he has done anything in his power and still does anything in his power to make our lives be as happy and successful as we want them to be. And I feel like having a dad that supports you no matter what is a really important aspect as a father. And my mom, same thing, you yes. know, to have parents that support you, that you tell them, hey, this is what I want to do. They don't question you. They don't say, well, that's not going to work. It's all right. Well, tell us how we can help.
2: You brought her up, so let's go there. Talk about mom for a little bit. What, what, if, for those who don't know your mom, tell us what makes her so special.
1: My mom is the most supportive human you would ever find, and she always wants to make sure everyone is happy and taken care of. And that attribute has been something that has been ingrained into me to do with, you know, people I deal with and people that I'm around, that it's important to have others be important and have others be happy in what they want to do.
2: You know, Amberly, I understand you lived in L.A. You make your way out to Utah, and this is kind of a life-changing move for you on, on all levels. But at age seven, you're now in Utah. What's life like in Utah?
1: Very different. Um, I made a deal with my dad when I left. I told him that I would only move if he bought me a Palomino, which is a golden colored horse, a Palomino barrel horse, when we got here. And that was my, uh, that was the only way I'd leave. So he, of course, did that exact thing. And so life here was different, but I got my own horse, so I'm pretty sure it was better.
2: It was better. So you you get into riding at a young age. You're seven, I think, when you moved to Utah. Were you into it even before then?
1: Yes, I was into horse. I mean, as long and far back as I can remember. Um, I mean, like the diaper days.
2: Right. There would be
1: horses on the top of the baby fresh wipes, and I would tell my mom. I would point at the horse, and I would tell her, "Me ride." Yes. And it, I got it. I was able to start riding when I was three. That was the youngest a Writing, you know, equestrian center would take. Was it three years old? But I mean, I've loved it. I think even before.
2: When did you realize, man? I, I think I have a gift at this. It's not just a passion, something I love, but I'm I'm pretty good at it.
1: I think when you when your first buckle, you start to think, okay, we actually can win. And when you realize that you can do that, then I don't know. It gives you, I guess, the right. hope. To- to take it as far as your goals want want to go.
2: I know it's it's a it's a diverse sport. You can do a whole lot of things within it. What what was your specific uh, passion? What did you like to do the most?
1: Anything within rodeo because the barrel racing. Like when I was younger, you do barrel racing, pole bending, goat tying, breakaway roping. These are all different events. That you yes. do as a kid, and I love speed events. And so they're all speed events, which is the greatest part because it's all competitive and timed. And now being older. You know, Some of those other events just fade out, and so now I can barrel race and I can rope. And on the professional level, you can just barrel race. So I'd say that that's where it's gone to now is just barrel racing, and I love every second of that. When, when your time and energy and hard work has gone into being successful, then it definitely makes it a worthwhile sport.
2: You were on top of the world in 2009. Tell me why.
1: 2009 was my senior year, and I made it to the national high school finals, which is a hard thing, especially in Utah, to qualify for. So I made it to the national high school finals, and then I made it to the national Little Britches finals, where I left with a world all-around title. And I mean, that's one of the biggest titles you can get as a kid, and so I was absolutely thrilled to have that.
2: You're succeeding in school, succeeding in racing, succeeding in life and uh, it seems like the best days are yet to come. Did did you have a, a big ambition for what you were going to do next as you moved out of high school and into college and beyond?
1: My When I graduated, I was serving as the Utah FFA state president. So I decided to take my first year off out of high school and spend the year traveling around as the state president and teaching kids and meeting kids and spending my time doing that. You only get one year to be an officer, mm-hmm. so... I wanted to make it the fullest, which it was, you know, during that year that my life very much changed. But my goal at that point was to finish that year and go to school. I was actually going to become an equine nutritionist was my plan. And after that year of teaching kids is when I shifted and got my first degree in agriculture education. And then it grew from there.
2: Let's talk about, you said it shifted. I believe it was January of 2010 a, a mighty shift is about to come. What, what, what happens? Where were you going and what were you uh what, what what took place next?
1: So I was going to Denver, Colorado for the stock show. They have the National Western Stock Show there every year and I was going out to work for a couple of weeks. And I was on my way there and stopped in Rollins, Wyoming at a gas station and when I got back in my truck, I didn't put my seatbelt back on. I had a stomachache that whole morning and thought I would take it off just for a minute. So less than 10 miles down the road from that spot, I was going through Sinclair, Wyoming when I looked down to check my map. Mm. And when I looked up, I had faded over and was heading towards one of those markers on the side of the road. So I tried to correct my truck, but in the end, it resulted in rolling. So I was ejected and hit a fence post, which broke my back and injured my spinal cord.
2: So, Amberly, you, you say that so, so matter of factly. My understanding is you, you were rolling down the highway at 70, and because your stomach was aching, you weren't wearing your seatbelt, which means you were ejected rolling down the highway at 70. And it wasn't the truck that hit that post, it, it was you that hit the post.
1: Yes, sir. Yep. Yep. When my truck decided to roll, it, it sent me through my driver's side window, and I hit a fence post, a wooden fence post on the side of the road, and broke it off. And carried it another 20 feet with the fence, and that is what broke my back.
2: Do you remember any of this?
1: All of it, all of it. I didn't get knocked out during it, so um, I remember the whole thing.
2: So, if you don't mind, keep going. Uh, When when you come to and you realize you're on the side of the road, uh, you know, half a mile from where this thing all began, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What happens next?
1: Um, At first, I think when you, you know, you look around and you see your truck ahead of you, obviously wrecked um you see everything you had packed inside that vehicle around you it just feels surreal for a minute you know everything's quiet and you are sitting there trying to take in what just happened so i did a moment of that mm. and it was thinking okay i shouldn't move um you know when you get in an accident like that you probably shouldn't go anywhere for a minute so i did a self-evaluation um i was sitting in the snowbank so You know, I felt my head first, and I thought, okay, I'm okay there. I don't feel anything wrong on my head, and um, I remember all of that. So I thought, I must be okay there. And I moved to my fingers, um, looked at both my hands and wiggled my fingers, and I thought, okay, I'm all right there. And I looked down to my feet and tried to move my toes, and that's when I realized that I felt like I was in warm water from the waist down and realized my toes didn't move Mm. when I asked them to move. So... I knew something was really wrong. But, you know, I mean, all you have to do is wait, right? You have to wait for somebody to come and find you. So that's what I did. I just waited and hoped that somebody would see me on the side of this highway. And it took, you know, five minutes or so before somebody finally passed. I mean, it was 10 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, so it wasn't like the the road was very busy. And so it took a little, like, just about five minutes before somebody passed and pulled over and came over and... Got the help and waited for an ambulance to come and pick me up.
2: Were you in physical pain?
1: I wasn't. I wasn't. It's such a crazy concept, but yeah. whether you know adrenaline shock, all of that, and I think that I was just very lucky in that concept. The only pain I felt is when they slid the backboard down my back and hit the spot that was broken. Mm-hmm. When definitely when they hit that spot, I just said, you "Oh know. my gosh, guys, that really hurt." And they said, "Well, it's over now, so it's okay."
2: During those five minutes, I, I would imagine it felt uh, like an eternity. What, what are you thinking about, and, and what's keeping you from just losing it?
1: Um, truly, I am, have been raised in a family of faith. And so in a moment like that, I think that your faith plays a big role on you being able to be calm and collected and really just stay in the moment of what's going on and, and not panic. So I know that that played a huge role on why I could sit there and be okay um, and just hope that somebody found me.
2: You are athletic and uh, a go-getter, extraordinarily popular, a high achiever, and now there's got to be all kinds of questions in the back of your mind like, oh my gosh, what, what kind of life will I have from this moment going forward? When did the, the real fear around that kick in for the first time?
1: Um, well, I feel like that it kind of, it went in waves. Yeah. You know, you feel like it's, uh, it's not really a real thing and it's not something that's going to be permanent. You know, it's not something that's going to last for a long time, but it goes in waves. You know, when I told them in the hospital, I mean, I told them, when I was sitting in Rollins waiting for my lifeline helicopter and told them when I woke up from surgery, you know, I said, I ride horses. When can I do that? And mm-hmm. they said, well, you're probably going to need to find something else. When you hear that, you definitely go through a minute of, that's not real. No. I can't, you can't really say that. You know, this is what I do for my life. So that's, I mean, that's a part of what I, who I am. So you go through a moment of Uh, feeling sad and upset and and thinking that maybe your world just crashed. But then you go, okay, that's what they say, but what can I do? And then you just shift and you go back to, okay, what am I going to do to get there? And then you feel good for a while. And, you know, then they'll say something else about, oh, you know, that's probably going to be hard or difficult or different. And you have a moment of sad, but then you figure it out. And truly, I think I still live through that. I think that's still in every, you know, in every day or every month or, you know, you have a day where you're like, gosh, this is just not how I planned or what I thought it was going to be like. And you take a moment and you, you get to be sad and then you fix it for what you can control.
2: You know, you're you sharing, I think, a formula that would benefit not only someone who is recovering after a massive accident on the side of the road, but all of us. You know, like, the, the storm shows up, the diagnosis comes, the bad news appears, you can be sad with it for a moment, but ultimately, you get to ask the question, Now what? So what, what can I do to control what's going to happen next? And I think it's a, a very healthy question to ask yourself. How, how long were you, Ashley, in, in uh, Amberly? how long were you in hospital?
1: I was only there for six weeks, which is so crazy, because that's really not that long. Um, But I didn't have any internal damage. I didn't have any other issues besides my broken back. I had injured one of my legs, and it caught the barbed wire fence, so there was, you know, just some surface problems there. And then... I had, well, actually, we didn't find, I had a fractured femur, but we didn't find that until probably a year later that that's what had happened. It Mm -hmm. was really small, and they honestly didn't x-ray that, so really, it was just trying to figure out life. You know, once I could handle life and go home and take care of myself, then they sent me home, so it really wasn't that long.
2: With an awful lot of therapy in, in front of you?
1: Yeah, with a lot of therapy and a lot of choices, and then, I mean, just now your life is different, so figure it out
2: coming out of the hospital and returning home what were your goals looking forward
1: when I got home you know it's always I'm gonna walk I'm gonna walk I'm gonna walk that's I feel like you you put these timelines on it and I did that for a long time and when I went home I was always like you know I'm gonna walk by well I turned 19 in the hospital and so, you know, of course when I was in the hospital it was I was gonna walk by my birthday and mm-hmm. then I'm gonna walk by um, I'm gonna walk by Valentine's Day, I'm gonna walk and, and you do that for a long time. <laughs> you put these timelines. But every time that you'd hit one of those timelines and it just wasn't working like you thought it should, yes. it was harder than the last. Yes. And so I went home and it, it honestly took me Well, it took me probably two years to finally get to the point that I said, okay, I'm going to walk when God provides me the opportunity to walk. So that goal is always there. But how, you know, you get to where, I mean, how are you going to live life? So with what you can. So I went to school that fall and started my degree and started my education. Tried writing four months after and did that for a little while. But in August of 2010, I took some time off of that. And I still think, you know, I just tried to continue life. I mean, it's hard to think you're, you're going to put your life on hold until you walk. And there's so much life that there's left to live, even if you're not doing that yet.
2: When you weren't able to walk, you're also not able to do your passion, your heart. You, you described it earlier. It, that's who I was. I, I, I'm a writer. How do you handle losing not only your ability to walk and part of your freedom of, you know, just being able to move around freely, but also this, this large aspect of who you were, Amberly.
1: Um, that was harder. It was truly harder for me to not be able to ride my horses the way that I did or be able to take care of them the way that I did. That was harder for me to swallow than not being able to walk. I mean, I always tell myself, gosh, if I had the ability that the second my foot hit a stirrup, mm-hmm. everything came back and I was fine. And then when I, my feet left those stirrups that I'd have to get back into a wheelchair, I would be so okay with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's that truly was and is still everything that I love and want to be great at. So it's kind of a big deal.
2: It is a, it's a it's huge deal, and I know it's a driving force in your recovery and in your life. You, uh, f- from what I understand, you have been able to... In, in some regards, rise out of that wheelchair and return toward in, into, into the stirrups. Tell, tell me about that.
1: Yeah, it's been amazing. And it was a lot of a, lot of a roller coaster ride. You know, um, it was four months after my accident, the very first time that I got back on a horse. That was when I finally convinced doctors and my mom wow. that that was what I wanted to do. And granted, it was my mom that, one of the very first conversations we had in the hospital, you know, I said, I have to be able to ride. And she said, I don't care if we have to strap you to that saddle, you will ride. But then, of course, when we come home and she's like, oh, I just, I don't know if you're ready. I don't know. I mean, I still had a back brace on. So it was four months after when I very first got on. That day was extremely hard because, you know, like I said, that was everything I wanted to be able to do. And to get back on my horse and realize that that happiest place in my whole world was now different
0: Mm.
1: was extremely difficult. So we went through a process. I have a seatbelt on my saddle, and we did that first, and I felt more stable. Then my legs were moving too flaccid, so I have straps around my legs, my feet are rubber banded in. Um, I have all these pieces that took time to be able to, you know, figure out.
2: And I, I got to just pause you there. Are, are, I'm assuming there's not a whole lot of these pieces, as you call it, these straps that are, you don't just go to the local Walmart and pick them up. This, this is an unusual concept to get on a horse when you have no ability to move from, from the waist down?
1: Uh, Yeah. Well, I'm the first and only barrel racer in the United States that's paralyzed. Right. So, yeah, we were we were making it up as we went along.
2: Emily, are you, are you falling off the saddle occasionally while you're while you're learning how to do this on the fly?
1: Um, I never hit the ground. Okay. I, never, I never hit the ground. But there was definitely moments that were rather unsteady. Um, and that is where, you know, we were like, okay, obviously I'm not in the middle of this horse today. I need right. to figure out how to fix that. Yeah, I never fell off. I still have never fell off my horse, and I hope that that never happens. Um, but, yeah, there are moments that are... <laughs> That are not quite in the middle of my horse.
2: What? Is there a risk that if you fall off the injury that you already have can be made even worse?
1: Um, Truly, doctors haven't even given me that. I don't even think they say anything about that. Right. But, um, I mean, I have rods in my back that I've left in. You know, you have an option to get them out a couple years later, and I've left them in for the reason of having that extra support. Mm -hmm. That if something happened, I have rods going down both sides of my spine that will hold everything more stable just you know just to know that i'm i'm doing something that not anyone has else has done so i just want to make sure that i do take care of myself with what i can
2: what what was it like for you that first ride
1: the first i'll have to say the first run back if i mean yeah yeah if you want it to be a happy story.
2: Yeah, I want the happy story. <laughs> I don't want the tears. We, we've had no, enough we already. We, we need some that. joy. Bring it on. No,
1: we, don't, we don't want that. We want the good stuff. So it was 18 months after my accident, almost to the day, that I decided I was going to enter. Um, and it was on a Monday. I had figured out I'd, I'd got one last piece put on my saddle on a Saturday and went and rode, went through the barrels, and said, okay, I'm ready. So I entered on Monday. And I felt like I'd waited long enough. And went through the pattern first. I did what they call a time-only. So you don't, you're you not actually entered in the race, but you get to still go through the pattern and timed and everything. So I cruised through the pattern, and everyone is cheering and crying. And I came out, and I said, guys, I'm going to go faster than that. And turned around and set my horse back through, and it was one second off of what I had been before my accident. Oh, my gosh. So that was... One of those moments, like, we, like I, you know, we talked about earlier, those moments where you're like, okay, I can do this. You know, I, Like I felt when I was a kid of, okay, I can really do this and I can be good at it. And I felt like that that day that I was like, okay, I can really do this and I'm going to be able to accomplish what I want to accomplish.
2: When you have something taken away from you and then you are able to get it back, sometimes you enjoy it even more. So I'm curious, now that you, you lost that for 18 months and it's, it's come back, it's a work, it's hard, it's not easy. It might not even be fully safe all the time, but you're back on top of that horse. Do, do you enjoy it even more now?
1: I think that you appreciate it. Um, there, it's still frustrating. You know, it's frustrating when I know what I, I could do when my legs work, and there are definitely shortcomings and things that I can't do the same because they don't. Um but gosh, you appreciate it. You know, sometimes I'll just be sitting in the alley or in the warm up pen and I'll just think for a minute, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I'm strapped into my horse. <laughs> I'm the only person here that's strapped into my horse. And I am still trying to win like everybody else. Right. You know, it doesn't that doesn't matter to me. I still pro rodeo with every person that's able bodied and capable of everything they want. And I'm there with the same attitude and the same competitive spirit that I had when I was seven years old.
2: What has the reaction been from other riders or from the audience since you've returned?
1: I really am very, very blessed to have a lot of support. Um, I don't think that I've ever made a run that somebody wasn't cheering. (laughs) Um, I mean, even last night I ran last night and it's just a little small jackpot. I mean, there was 40 runners. That's not that many. Mm. And even at something like that, there's somebody that's cheering. So That part has been fun. It it was interesting in the beginning. You know, people would come up and say funny things like, Okay, my legs work and you're still beating me (laughs) And I still I guess I still hear that truly (laughs) to this day. I still hear people comment on that. And I think it's because sometimes it's surprising that I'm still capable of winning and competing and running with any of the girls at Pro Rodeo and and the girls that are at the top of this sport. Um, but everyone's, you know, happy, supportive about it. I don't think anybody is mad at me because I can still compete.
2: What, what have you learned about yourself during this crazy run? Not not only as a seven-year-old who's successful and, and athletic and able to hold on and ride effectively, but through this wild journey, the, the accident, the recovery, getting back on the horse, dealing with 18 months of ups and downs along the journey back to the track. What, what have you really been learning about yourself
1: you know, I will tell you that I learned that I am tougher than I ever thought I could be. Um, I've learned that that my faith has played a huge role in my ability to continue through something that really could be very much life-altering in a not good way. Mm. Um, I've learned that I have the greatest support system that I could ever imagine. Um, I really think that's you know that's it that truly I don't get to make every decision on how my life goes or even what works on my body, but I am so thankful that my head still is where I want it to be, and that I can think think clearly and and be who I want to be, no matter what
2: you mentioned it was january twenty ten when you had the the accident what What was the exact day
1: January tenth January 10th of 2010.
2: Do, do you look, when you think of January 10th, when it rolls around on the calendar, as it always does, what, what emotions do you feel on January 10th?
1: January 10th is always a mix of emotions. And <laughs> even though we are seven years down the road, um, I don't know, there's always, there's always a moment of reflection, I think. You know, some days I'm like, okay, January 10th is coming, I'm not going to be sad, or I'm not going to be upset, or... And you have a moment, I think, every year that rolls around then that you sit there for a minute and you're like, gosh, dang, this is not the way that I imagined my life. Yes. I'm sure you can relate to that. <laughs> that You just think, just for a minute, you know, just for a minute you have, you have that where you think, gosh, this is not the way I imagined I would be. But then... But then you have to think about, okay, but what is, you know, what has been great and what great things do I have and where have I been? And maybe truly why do I have great things that happened because of this that maybe wouldn't have otherwise? And then you feel a little bit of of being proud, you know, proud of where you've come. And then I think you feel grateful Mm. that even though it's not ideal, there's still so many amazing things that you get to have.
2: You mentioned some of the things that have come into your life as a result of January 10th. And by the way, my date's January 17th, so I'll high-five you on the 10th uh, <laughs> if you return the favor about a week later. And and for Absolutely. me, by the way, the, the emotions three decades plus later remain mixed. It's a uh, it's primarily good, but you look around at your life and it's not exactly like you imagine it before that date. So I, I, I truly do get it. And I think all of our listeners understand that date, whatever the date is for them as well. But you mentioned there were some, some blessings that have arrived in your life. And one of them for you is that today you get to share your story to audiences all around the country. When you speak, what do you like to talk about?
1: Speaking, I will say, is the, probably one of the greatest things that has ever come out of this. Um, I mean, it would be really tricky to think, okay, if I had my legs, would I not get to speak anymore? And gosh, that would be challenging because I get to, to travel everywhere and share my story of, you know, this is what has happened and be real with people that it didn't go the way that I planned. And every day is not easy. You know, to have a positive attitude doesn't happen every single day. But I like to share with people that it's okay. It's okay to be upset sometimes, and it's okay to be real, and it's okay to truly be sad when life doesn't go perfect. So I love to share that part. And then, you know, then I love to share the triumph. Yes. The part where you get to say, this is what I've accomplished, and giving up isn't an option. It never is, and it never should be. So getting to share that part and the happiness and the pieces that have come because of this. And and I get to tell them I'm sitting in front of you because of this silly chair. Yes. And that part is super rewarding and very humbling and gives you strength that on that next crappy day, that next day that you're like, gosh, this is terrible. You think, okay, but have I changed a life? And not everybody gets to say yes to that answer, you know, in an answer to that question.
2: I have a feeling you get to say yes every time you have the opportunity to hold the mic. Share, share with us a story of a, a child, a teacher, a business owner, whatever it may have been, a cattle rancher, who came up and, and uh, said hello to you after you, you, you shared your story.
1: You know, the first one that comes to my mind um, actually didn't happen in person, but this was the first time that I realized, oh my gosh, okay, this silly chair is, can benefit other people. So it was in 2010, it was two months almost to the day after my accident. I was serving, I, I told you, I wrecked during my year of, of being a state FFA officer. Yes. So FFA is Teacher Farmers of America. So I was a state officer here in Utah, and I had written my speech. You can write your speech on anything you want. I had written it in 2009, and I had written it on overcoming obstacles. Hmm. I thought, I want to share with all these FFA members that they can overcome anything that's thrown their way. So I wrote this whole speech, January of 2010. I wreck. I live that speech, right, for two months before I give it. Um, I go out there and I give that speech, and it was amazing. It was super, I mean, I, it just, it was amazing. Well, about a month later, I get a Facebook message from an FFA member, and he said, I had written... My suicide letter. I had written my suicide letter. I had a plan. When I got home from convention, I was going to take my own life. After hearing your speech, I changed my mind. Um, that was a definite moment of, oh my gosh, Amberly, take a step out of yes. what you're thinking and how you feel and realize that you can change and or save a life. So... I don't know that's the first one that I can think of when I think of the blessing that has come from
2: that. Yeah, I think I would hang that one above my bed and uh go to bed thinking about that and wake up grateful for it night after night. That that's a huge story. And that's one you hear about you think of the countless ones. You've not not the side of eternity. It's an incredible share. When you look forward at your life, at the life you have and the life you dream of living going forward, what, what do you hope to see? I know you're, you're trying not to control what happens next, but you do want to boldly live into it. What, what do you want to see happen next?
1: Well, now that I'm done with school, thank heavens, I never thought that day would come. Um, now that I'm done with school, I want to expand my speaking. Um, I get to do 50 to 60 speeches a year right now, and I have the goal to be able to speak in every state. I'm getting close. I think I'm at like 36 states. So I'm getting close. I want to be able to speak in every state. I want to expand that because I absolutely feel that if I have the responsibility or, you know, the capability to change a life, I want to be able to do that. Um, I also plan to still compete. Um, I pro rodeo. I've earned my pro rodeo card, which you have to earn enough money in order to do. So I want to make the national finals rodeo at some point. I think I'm going to start smaller and try to make the circuit finals here on our circuit first Mm -hmm. and work my way up. So really, those are kind of my goals I'm working towards right now. Um, Now that I'm not in school, I want to spend a little more time on my health physically and see if I can't improve where I'm at, if I can have the time to get there. So I feel like I can take on three big things at a time. So now that I've cut off one, I can add in another.
2: Well, we're delighted you added us into your crazy busy schedule, and and like I mentioned to you before we started recording, we ask every single guest seven questions. They're called the Live Inspired Seven, Amberly, and I'd like to guide you through these seven questions, and the first one is this. What's the best book you've ever read?
1: Oh, my heavens. The best book I've ever read. I'm going to have to go with the book that I just finished. Um, it's called Wonder. Oh, Yeah. So they they just made a movie. It might have actually just came out. Um, They just made a movie, but I just read that book um, as I was getting my internship done with the middle school students and loved it because I felt like there was a little kid with such strength. So I'm going to say that's the best book I read, and it might be the most recent one. It is the most recent one, but it's definitely stuck with me.
2: Well, you you, uh, are now the second guest to share that book. I've read it. I took the kids to see it. And uh, my friends, oh gosh, it's just sweet. It's a beautiful book and it's a great movie. So, if you're listening right now and you're not sure what to show the kids, whether you're a teacher, nurse, parent, whatever it may be, Wonder's awesome. It it is such an uplifting story. Uh, Tomorrow, question number two Amberly Snyder. Tomorrow, you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103, leaving you with millions and millions of dollars. What would you do with that newfound wealth?
1: Um, the first thing I would do is, well, I don't know what the first thing I would do. I guess I have a combined thing. I want I I want to start my own charity. So I really want to get that started for kids with disabilities as well as veterans. So I would be able to finally be able to start that. I would truly get a ranch that I can have all my horses on and it would be all paved and accessible and wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, I don't know, I'm kind of a saver. I think at that point I might save it and see what my family needs and make sure that they're all taken care of and probably go from there.
2: Perfect. If your house caught fire and all living things, your animals, your horses, your family, your friends, all living things are out, and you have an opportunity to run in, to roll in, to race in, to ride in, however you want to get in that house, and grab one thing, Amberly, what would you what would you go in and get?
1: Um, gosh, that is a tricky question. Huh? If I have all, if I have my horses and my family and all of those things outside the house already,
2: but you've got to go in and grab one thing.
1: I have to. You have to. It's, it's a must. That is a really tough question because I would probably make sure I had one of my cowboy hats with me for sure <laughs> right. because I would need one of those. And I would probably maybe grab my World All-Around Champion saddle. That's, that is in this house, too.
2: The saddle and the hat, they come out with you. That's perfect.
1: Uh huh. How appropriate.
2: <laughs> if you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anybody, living or dead, who would you want to have that conversation with?
1: If I had to have a conversation on the beach, sitting there with anybody, you know, I think that I honestly would probably take one of my brothers with me if I couldn't take both. (laughs) Because I could sit and talk to both my brothers all day long and... They're, they're definitely the rocks in my life, so I feel like if I've got to sit on a beach and talk to somebody for a while, I'm going to bring my brothers. Your
2: brothers are coming. What are their names?
1: J.C. and Taylor.
2: That's a great answer. Tell J.C. and Taylor hello from the Live Inspired community. I will. I will. And, and by the, I hope you tell them that you answer that question that way, because that is so flattering.
1: <laughs> uh, maybe I will. Maybe I will let them know that. Or I'll just let them listen to the podcast. There you go. Can just hear it.
2: What's the best advice that either either those boys or anybody else in your life has ever given you? So what's the best advice that you've ever, ever received?
1: Um, that definitely is going to come from my mom. Um, there was a point where I was on bed rest for five months. And it was when I was in her house because I had to have help. And she came into my room one day and I said, it is not my day. And she said, that's okay, but tomorrow is going to be. And I have definitely lived by that. Today, every day doesn't have to be your day. But if today isn't, make tomorrow.
2: Mm. What would you tell your 20-year-old self?
1: My 20-year-old self. Um, So, gosh, that's still after my accident. So that's that's only six years ago. I would tell my 20-year-old self that... I guess I wasn't really speaking then, so I would say that the ability to talk is actually going to be a really big blessing here very soon.
2: And, you know, I'm curious. When you when you flip at 70 miles per hour, you are ejected, you hit a fence pole, and then roll 20 more feet. Do you view the very fact that you are even alive and verbal as, as miraculous?
1: There are definitely moments that you think about that. It was actually kind of crazy. I was driving. Um, I drove home from Iowa, well, I drove home from Iowa. My boyfriend lives in Iowa. We drove home yesterday, and I passed the part where I wrecked.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, Drove by that spot on the highway again yesterday. And, gosh, you take a minute, and you're like, what? What a crazy concept that I can still drive by that. Yes. You know, because my whole life could have ended right there. And instead, I'm driving by that spot and thinking, okay, you know, Look at, look at where I've gone and what I've been able to do, and that is because I'm still here. Hmm.
2: Final question. Amberly Snyder, it has been said that all great writers, women, leaders, friends, can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read?
1: If I had to pick the way the one sentence would go, um, I would hope that people... Could say that there was no future in giving up in my life. That no matter what challenge was thrown, perseverance prevailed.
2: Amberly Snyder, you are proof that perseverance prevails and and that love wins. I, I am so grateful that you have gotten back on the saddle and taught the rest of us how to how to get back on top of ours as well.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me on. I absolutely. I, I was super thrilled to be able to speak to you. I'm somebody who can definitely relate to life not going the way it plans, but find the positive amongst the challenges.
2: Well, there are, there are many, and you are reminding all of us of that truth. So I, I'm grateful for your time. I'm grateful for your courage, your faithfulness, and your life. Tell your family hello. Tell your brothers hello. And, uh, and, and keep riding inspired. My friends, that was Amber Lee Snyder. This is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live inspired.